Let's go right directly to the Word of the Lord today. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bibles. We're going to look at one of the miracle stories of the Lord Jesus. I still believe in miracles today. How about you? Let's go to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to begin with verse 12, if you have it for the screens for us today. There we go. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then he, speaking of Jesus, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so he he himself, so he withdrew as he often did to the wilderness and prayed. Right in the center of this passage is the focus when Jesus says, I am willing, be cleansed. I am willing, be cleansed. I can't really remember if I have them or if I gave them away. I wish I could remember, but it's been so long since I was in school that I can't remember really exactly if I have them or if I gave them to somebody else. I'm talking about the cooties. Anybody remember the cooties? Has it been that long ago? It was this sort of um, invisible infection that you would give to someone else. At least this happened when I was in school back in the dark ages. I really have no idea where they started. I just remember running up to somebody on the playground and touching them and saying, you've got the cooties. Or maybe it happened in the line in the cafeteria. Or uh, the best place to do it was if you were in the classroom and the person right in front of you who could not get up and leave or run away from you or go anywhere, you could just touch them and say, you know, you've got the cooties. So here I am all these decades later, and I, I still can't remember if I have them or if I've given them away. You know what? We've spent a lot of time over the years worrying about the cooties, Some of you will remember the 2008 swine flu epidemic when we were all supposed to wash our hands at least the same length of time it takes to sing happy birthday or twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then do you know that we in this country, we spend over a billion dollars a year on something called antibacterial soap. And we still don't even know if it actually does what it says it's supposed to do. There's some question about that. Lots of people seem to be... um, having hip replacement and knee replacement surgery these days. I hear so, uh, so much about it, and I hear it so often here at this place. I think that we ought to be able to get the Bethesda discount. Yes, amen, I hear that. <laughs> On uh, hip replacements and knee replacements, there's got to be some sort of a group discount that we ought to be able to get. Well, there was this woman having hip replacement surgery, and she couldn't decide whether to have it done at one of the old teaching hospitals in downtown Dallas or a suburban new hospital because she was concerned about that there might be cooties in the old hospital 
that might be worse, like lingering in the hallways or whatever they, you know, whatever they do. You know, that all may sound crazy to us today, but then sometimes we, we should be worried about them when we're not. You know that restaurant menu that you pick up? Do you know if someone sneezes on it that the cooties live there for 18 hours? Did you know that? And that lemon wedge in your iced tea at the restaurant? That lemon wedge, the, the Journal of Environmental Health says that 60% of those have the cooties on them. And then I was at the grocery store just yesterday, and, and, and I saw it happen again. Now you see, when you go pick up, your, you get your basket, the, many of the stores now provide the little antibacterial wipes, and you see, I saw a couple wiping the entire thing. I mean, floor to whatever. I guess they were trying to get the cooties off. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I saw them do that. But we meet someone in this text that we just read who is looking back out at us from Scripture who has something far worse than the cooties. He is introduced to us without a name. He's completely unidentified and anonymous. He's simply presented to us as a man full of leprosy. Matthew's account of this tells us that he was uh, immediately after Jesus preached on the, on the mount, that's when, when he tell, that's when this happened. But Luke, the physician, says it this way, he was full of leprosy, which tells us this, that the disease was not just uh, approaching him. It was just not on his front porch. It was not in its preparatory period. It was not just a prelude. No, it had invaded this man. The very fact that the Scripture tells us tells it to us like that. It says it invaded, it invaded this man, which meant that the digits or the fingers were falling off his hands and the appendages off his face. It was an awful, consuming disease. He was full of leprosy. And that is what defined him. If you read Luke's gospel here, you'll find that up to this point, 24 of the 25 people who've shown up so far have a name. But this man doesn't get a name. He is identified to us still today by the weakest, the worst, and the most difficult thing about him. He is simply called the man who is full of leprosy. Many of us were made to read in high school Nathaniel Hawthorne's famous novel, The Scarlet Letter. You may remember the story of Hester Prynne. Here she was compromised in that New England village, and she had to, what, wear a red letter A for the rest of her life. In fact, it, it robbed her of identity. She became simply the lady with the scarlet letter. It is this cruel and unusual thing that we do to people when we, we put them in a box, we define them, we, 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 we stereotype them, we, we label them with the weakest thing about them. And, and we don't redeem them when they become synonymous with the worst thing about their life. Oh, there goes the ex-con, yeah. There's the, yeah, there, there's that addict. Or, yeah, there's, yeah, uh, they're, they're divorced. You fill in the blank. 
and that's what tends to define them. However, this man that we've just read about this morning is not in the New Testament because he's defined by the worst moment in his life. He is in our reading today because one day Jesus came along and touched him. And when that happened, it was as if he took his driver's license into the Galilee Driver's License Bureau, and it had a big L on it that did not stand for learner. It stood for leprosy. But after Jesus touched him, he took the driver's license in, and it was inspected by the public health department. And you know what they did? They stamped a C on it, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes people who were defined by the weakest and the worst, and he touches them, thank God, and he says, cleansed by his power. I can't help but wonder if there's not someone in this room today who feels like you have been labeled, marginalized, isolated, set apart, because you have only been known by the worst thing in your life. The good news of the gospel Church, that is not how Jesus deals with people. He deals with us by His grace. He deals with us by His divine touch, and He gives us a name. Notice with me that this man had to come to Jesus with intensity, if you follow the text along with me. Luke gives it to us this way. He says, he fell, he approached Jesus, he came running to Him, and he fell on his face. Now, that was no more a, a standard practice in, in, in greeting in biblical times than it, than it is today. You may think, well, that was the culture of the day. No, no, it wasn't. There are all kinds of interesting cultures, that, uh, ways of greeting different cultures. If I've learned with the African cultures that we have around here, when they come and shake my hand, it happened right before I walked in this room. Some of you may have noticed if you've shaken the hands of some of the Africans that worship here, they do this when they shake, their, when they shake your hand. I noticed they always did that. I kept trying to learn. I was doing the wrong way how to do that. And I said, so why? why? I asked Shabani the other day. I said, why? He said, oh, pastor, that's a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor when we do this. It's their culture. It's how they do it. And I think, well, we Americans don't do that. We high five and fist bump to everybody, you know. <laughs> but it was not the standard practice in biblical days to run to someone and, and fall on your face. But that's exactly what this man did. Because, just like today, to fall on your face, it was considered undignified. Can't you just imagine with me the crowd of people who had been there to see Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount? Can't you imagine seeing them split apart like the Red Sea when they saw this leper running up right in the midst of them? And if you read the book of Leviticus, you know that he wasn't even supposed to be there. But guess what? This man, this leper who to us is nameless, he came to a moment of intensity when he didn't care. Here was his moment to be made whole in the presence of the one who had the power to make him whole. And isn't it interesting, the things that people can get intense about? My wife loves to see and, when possible, get an autograph from a famous person. Kind of embarrasses me, makes me nervous but particularly if she admires them. 
A couple of years ago, she had heard that Debbie Boone was going to be in concert with the Richardson Symphony over in Richardson. And uh, we had not done anything like that or been to that kind of an, an event in a long time. And she rarely, if ever, asked for an evening like that. So she wanted to go. So I secured the tickets and we went. It was encouraging to my heart. When we got there, we were the youngest people in the crowd. It was a, bl- a real blessing. Now, it was a lovely concert. Miss Boone seems to be a very magnificent lady. But afterward, you know, I was ready to go. We heard the concert. It was great. Let's go. But Becky had discovered that she, the artist, was going to be signing autographs at her record table, and there was no stopping Becky from trying to get back there just to look and get close and, 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 and see, see this gal that she admired so much. I thought she was going to fall over the record table just trying to get to her. I was, it was really embarrassing. Becky was intense about seeing and getting close to this lady who, to be honest, has had one hit, okay? And you know what it was, right? Yes. All of you who are older than me know exactly what the song was. We call that in the music industry, we call that the one-hit wonder. She was a one-hit wonder. Yes, we all know how to get intense. And what about that Friday after Thanksgiving? Okay? Like me, you probably know people. There are some sitting in this room kind of over in this vicinity right here. Back a little bit today because the teachers are sitting in the front. Who would be willing to camp out all night in front of Best Buy or Walmart to get that one item on sale that they desperately need to have? Surely none of us here would be so foolish, right? Can I just say, there is nothing in this world that I want or need bad enough. Can I get an amen to that? Yes, we humans know something about intensity. Well, let's go to one of our football games. It'll, it'll be intense. But I can't help wonder if we ever get that intense about that which we need from the Lord Jesus, which is exactly what we see in our text today. We know how to channel that intensity toward the frivolous and the fun. But what about channeling it toward the desperate need of our soul? Sometimes, church... When it comes to our spiritual life, we don't bring to the higher, the holier, and the heavier the intensity that we bring to the lower, the lesser, and the lighter. And then we read these Bible stories, and and we sit back and we say, I wonder why nothing like that ever happens to me. Because we've not brought the measure of intensity that we see from the man in our text today. We say, why doesn't that happen to me? You know, many people come back from going on a, a trip with Stephen Evans and Light of Life International as they go to Central America. And we, we go and we see signs and wonders and miracles taking place right in front of us. I mean, right in front of our very own people, verifiable. And in the mouth of two or three witnesses, this thing is established. It happens right in front of their face. We've heard testimony after testimony. And yet we will come back. And won't we say, why doesn't that ever happen in the United States? Well, my best clue is that we don't bring the same measure of intensity to what we need from God as we're seeing in the desperation of the people of Central America. And those of you who have been on these missions trips to to Central America and wherever else you've been on missions trips to different parts of the world, you know there is an intensity about which they approach God. God, if you don't show up, if you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. 
I'm privileged to have developed over the last few years a relationship with the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York, and Pastors Jim and Carol Simbola. I get the privilege of orchestrating many of their, uh, from some of their projects the last few years, and they're wonderful people. And because of our, that developing relationship, I've, Becky and I have been there on many occasions to be in the services, and we've attended pastor's conferences and music conferences and other events there, and, and those of you who've been will know exactly what I'm talking about. There, there, there's just something different about the place. The first time we went, our children were younger, and we went and we stood outside the Sunday after Christmas, which is usually a down Sunday for everybody else. It was freezing cold in New York City. And we stood outside for an hour around the building to stand in line just to be able to get a seat in the back of the balcony. And when we got in there and sat down, immediately, I, I had heard about it for years. I, I thought it's going to be great music, whatever. I sat down and I said to Becky, I said, there's something different about this place. Sitting in the balcony, what I saw was families gathered together. And they were sitting there quietly and reverently. And they had the word of God open. And they were reading the word together as a family. This is pre-service, before church ever started. And then I looked to, uh, over to another side, and I saw a lady just sitting and just cupping her hands and just tears rolling down her cheek, just beseeching the Lord, whatever the, I don't know what the need was, calling upon the Lord. And that's what pre-service was like before the church ever started. And so as my relationships developed with, uh, with people there, and, and, and I was comfortable asking, I was saying, so wh what's different what is it about this place that's different? One of my dear friends there said, well, Dan, it's, it's this. They said, living in this city is hard. I said, well, what's hard? Everything is hard. Going to the grocery store is hard. Going to the dry cleaners, everything is hard. And, and the difficulties that we face are, are incredible. And he said, there is a sense of desperation about the people who walk in to this place that they know if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't help us, then we are without help. There's a desperation. It's their desperate sense that brings them to that level of intensity. And I can't help but wonder if we've ever been ever serious enough in our intensity that could cause something dynamic to happen to us. Is it possible that we have become far more interested in our dignity than we are in our deliverance? Just let that sink in for a second. But there's another interesting word in our text about the approach of this leprous man to Jesus. It's a word of persistence. This man, full of leprosy, wasn't just intense. One of Luke's favorite words found in his gospel over and over happens to, to uh, pop up right here in our text. For Luke tells us that he implored Jesus. And the word actually means this. He kept on imploring. If you dig into the original language, he kept on imploring. He kept on asking. He kept on begging God. It was one thing to divide that crowd who ran away terrorized because there was a, a leper in their midst, but it was quite another thing once he fell on his face over and over again to just begin to beg Jesus for that which he needed. If you want to pour meaning into this word used here, then let's look to see where else it's used in the book of Luke. It's used of the demons who inhabited the Gerasene demoniac in Luke chapter 8. When Jesus was about to cast them out, it says, they kept on imploring him, don't send us back to hell. Kept on imploring. Or it's that word used of the Father at the foot of the Mount of the Transfiguration. 
when nine of Christ's disciples could not cast out the demon uh, possession that, was, that the father's son had. That demon would cause his son at times to fall into the water and at times fall into the fire. And yet this father saw Jesus coming and he knew this is my only chance. This may be my only chance. This is my one chance. And so what did he do? He kept on imploring. He was persistent. Let me ask you something today. Is there anything in your life over which you are desperate enough that there is an intensity, there is a fire shut up in your bones, there is a fire within you that says, I must get to Jesus and I will keep on imploring him and asking. It's not just a, a flash of momentary inspiration, but you keep on imploring God with a persistence. Have you ever been in such a situation, and I know many of us have, that you so desperately needed the power of God that you did not care what anybody else thought? I've talked to some of you this very week that are in that kind of situation. It doesn't matter. Everything else fades from, you, from, from view because of the desperation of your need. Talking about those moments that are so desperate. Those moments that are bigger than you and I are. Oh my goodness, how many times I've faced it. Oh God, this is bigger than I am. That you know it's only God who can take care of this. It's in those moments, church, that you don't care what everybody else thinks or what anyone else thinks, and you will implore God. Some of us are more concerned about our dignity than we are our deliverance. That we miss out on what God is able and willing to to do for us simply because we don't want to be intense and persistent. And yet over and over and over and over again, you find in the Word of God, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking if you want delivery from your circumstance and your situation. Something else interesting in this passage, and please pay attention with me at what this says. I think this is particularly poignant. It says, speaking of the leper, that he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. Well, sure he saw him. Everybody saw him. Christ had just given the Sermon on the Mount, and thousands of people were looking at him. In fact, I would, could argue with you today that Jesus was the most looked at person in his world. I could even take it further than that. I would argue that Jesus is the most looked at person in all of human history. If you go to the great art museums of the world, the Louvre, the British Museum, the National uh, uh, Museum of, of wherever, there are more paintings of him than any other person in history. He is the centerpiece of Western art. You can go to Catholic churches all over the world, a billion Catholics, and there he is looked at on a crucifix. Go to Protestant churches and in Sunday school classrooms and, and, and houses and, and, and Bibles or pictures of Jesus everywhere. He is the most looked at person in all of human history. But here's the catch. Not everyone who looks upon him sees him. There is a clear distinction between looking at Jesus and really seeing him. In fact, John 3 tells us the famous story of a religious man who came to Jesus. He complimented him. And Jesus responded by saying, if you're not born again, you cannot see 
the reign of God and the kingdom of God. Not everyone that looks sees. And I have to ask again the question, have you ever looked at, not only looked at, but seen the Lord Jesus? Because you can be sure of this, He is looking at you. If you're in Paris, you go up into the Montmartre, and there in that huge glistening white cathedral is the biggest face of Jesus in the world. It's a mural. The interesting thing about the eyes is that anywhere you go in that cathedral, wherever you walk, He's looking straight at you. It's kind of fun to see people walk around and almost try to hide behind pillars and posts, but wherever you are, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a trick of perspective. And you can't get away from it. And I just have to ask today, I wonder if you're seeing the one who is looking at you. And so here comes the moment of conversation from this man who really sees Jesus. And interesting enough, we come to the apex here of it all. This man is half right and half wrong with a half-true and a half-false statement. If you notice at the end of verse 12, if you're still looking down at your Bible, he says this, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, notice what should be obvious to us in that statement. He didn't question the power of Jesus but he did question the willingness in his own case. I almost wonder if Jesus would have preferred it if he said it the other way around. Lord, I know you're willing if you have the power, indicating that he was confident of Christ's willingness but questioning his power. At least that would have granted that Jesus was a, a man of goodwill, or we would, some would say bona fides, but instead, he said, I know you've got the power. But what I don't know, Jesus, is if you are willing to touch me, if you are willing to extend your hand for me. Sometimes we get in our church services and our Bible studies. At times, it can almost feel like it's a memorial service of what Jesus used to do. And we celebrate with great enthusiasm what happened in the past or what Christ used to do. But some folks don't feel that he is willing to do now what he did then. He was willing to heal a leper back then, but I don't know that he's willing to heal me today. For you see, my, my circumstance, my situation is, is too complicated. Pastor Dan, you just don't understand it. It's just so multifaceted. There are, there are so many complexities to, to my situation. And we act somehow that our circumstances could just cause God to get dizzy and fall off of his throne because our situation is so much more difficult. And I'm here to say to you unequivocally today, no church, he is willing to touch you today. We think he might be willing to do it for others. There are certainly the super saints Maybe somebody that you knew as a child or a grandmother or someone that was a great prayer warrior that you knew of. Well, he would do it for them. Or maybe you think of Mother Teresa or, or Billy Graham or Martin Luther King or, or whomever. And you can understand how he might be willing to reach his hand out and touch them. 
But would he do it for little old me? I'm, I'm a nobody. Why would he do that for me? And here's what I want to say as gently as I can and yet as honestly as I can. In that regard, if that is our approach and our understanding and our thinking, in that regard, in that sense, we make an idol out of our own mess. Ours is too big for God. Ours is too complicated. It's way more involved. I've not seen anybody come out of this situation like this. And in that regard, and when we take that approach, we then make an idol out of our situation. Willing to do it for others, but not willing to do it for me. Let me assure you that the heart of the gospel is this. Whatever your sin, whatever your past, whatever your failure, whatever your trespass, whatever your mistake, whatever your treachery, whatever it is, He is both willing and able to touch you. Blessed be the name of the Lord today. That's what the gospel is all about. And if you're here today, seated in this place, and as I'm even speaking right now in your mind thinking, well, no, I, I don't know. I don't think so. You somehow are saying, no, I'm the great exception in all of this. I'm here to say to you, no, you're not. You're not the great exception. You are not going to present God with something that's more powerful than He is. He is the omnipotent one. He has all power and all authority, both in heaven and on earth. Somebody say hallelujah for that today. Because of that, that's the reason we so love our gospel songs that we've had for so many years. You've heard me often talk about my favorite hymn writer, Fanny Crosby, who as a blind woman was sitting in her parlor in the Midwest, and she wrote that wonderful song, This Is My Story. This Is My Song. You know, it, it would have lost a little bit of its oomph if she had written, This Is Everyone Else's Story. This Is Their Song, if she had written it that way. No, and the psalmist David didn't say, the Lord is some folks' shepherd. It makes all the difference to be able to say, he's the one I see, he's the one that I know who is willing, he's the one that I know is able, therefore the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So I have to ask you this. Are you willing to believe that in your situation today, he is both willing and and able. Well, the next thing that happened, and I'll draw to a close in a moment. That's always a promise that preachers make that they fulfill eventually. The next thing that happened is what I think we could refer to as the audible gasp. The audible gasp. It's like what we saw this week in the Olympics or in the last few days sometime when the young French gymnast was on the, what's the thing they run and they jump over it and land on the other side? Okay, vault. Yeah, that sounds right. Young gymnast was on the vault, and as he completed it, how many of you saw that when his legs snapped? Anybody see that? Yeah, you did. Or you, you're, it's, you're in pain hearing about it, one of the two. You could hear it. You could, you could hear it snap, and the whole auditor, you could see it, and the whole place went, <gasps> kind of like you just did. It's like when you go to the circus, and, and, and someone's on the high wire, and, and even though you know that there is a net there to catch them if they fall, you're watching them, and, and they, they lose their balance, and, 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 and so in that moment, they lose their balance, and they fall, and they go into the net, and everyone goes, ah! it's the audible gasp. 
Or like what happened to me this week, you're driving on the freeway and in front of you is another car that though he has his blinker on, he wants to move into the other lane, but obviously he doesn't see the, the car that's in that lane that's somewhat in his blind spot and so he, he just goes, he's right in front of me and he decides he's going to go ahead and move over and you can see it happening. You go, <gasps> and you hit your horn. Well, it must have been surely something like that in that moment when this man full of leprosy, ran to Jesus, fell down, implored him, and then Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. And the whole crowd went, and why wouldn't they? Surely they must have been thinking, Here's this wonderful young preacher from Nazareth. We've never heard anyone preach like him before, and he's been healing people and doing so much good, but always young and he's enthusiastic, and now he's just given himself leprosy by touching that leper. But here's what they didn't understand, and here's what we need to walk out of here making sure we understand today, and that is this. Jesus is more contagious than anything else that he touches. No, you didn't hear me. You didn't hear me. I'm telling you, Jesus is more contagious. You may not like that word, but he's more contagious than anything he touches. So here's a, a greedy person, somebody that you, we all know them. We've got them around us. Don't look at anybody or poke anybody, okay? Here's a greedy person, so, so greedy that they, they hold every dime until FDR's face turns red in that dime. Or they squeeze every nickel until a buffalo snorts. You know the type. And yet when they come to Jesus, you know what? They don't make him the greedy Jesus. Doesn't work like that. Strangely enough, he begins to relax the grasp of greed. And the more they are with him, and the more they see him, the more generous they become. Because that's the kind of power Jesus has. Or there's an addict, whatever, of whatever kind you want to call it, substance, pornography, all kinds of addictions. And you think, do you think that when they bring that to Jesus and he touches them, that suddenly you've turned him into the addicted Jesus, dare I say it? No. You get around him. You get close to him. You spend time with him. You talk to him. You read about him. You don't make him the addicted Jesus. No, he will infect you with an increasing case of purity if you will simply get into his presence because he is stronger and more powerful than anything that you have to bring to him today. Somebody say, bless the Lord. I'm sure like me, you've run into plenty of people who've had a religious past that has somehow given them a very skewed perspective on Christianity. They may think it's all about rules, think it's all about hypocrisy in the church, or that church just wants their money. I've heard it all, like you have. But we know that's not what this is all about. This is all about getting close to our powerful Jesus. And when you get close to him, church, he gives you a case of what he has. And what we see in our text today so clearly, I hope you followed me.
is that Jesus touched him. He reached out his hand and he touched him. And he made all the difference. There is nothing like the touch of Jesus. He will take that which is ordinary, and you may think you're ordinary. He, may take, he will take that which is ordinary and make it extraordinary. He will take that which is dysfunctional in your home when Jesus touches it and the touch of Jesus is upon it, and he will make it so wonderfully functional and loving. Imagine that. That can happen in your home. When Jesus, his touch will make something or someone that is sick and make them completely whole again. Most of you know that Bill Gaither wrote a gospel song many decades ago that's now sung around the world. You could quote it with me. You would know it. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and he made me whole. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? No one leaving, please. Please respect the house of God. Stay where you are. In a moment, we're going to pray for all the educators in the room. But first, I, I simply have to ask, is there anyone here who would say by simply raising your hand, Pastor Dan, I need the touch of Jesus. I'm not asking if you're saved or not saved. I'm not asking any of those things. I'm just asking, are you saying today that you need the touch of Jesus. You're saying, I need to exchange what I have for what he has. I, you're, you're saying, Lord, you're saying, Pastor Dan, I, I do believe today that Jesus can take my sickness. The Lord can take my sickness and make me whole. He can take my brokenness and put the pieces back together again. I'm going to choose to believe that he can take the dysfunction of my home and my family and bring peace. You're simply saying, I just need a touch from Jesus. So today, like the leper in our text, the man full of leprosy, you don't want to just look upon Jesus. You want to truly see him for who he is in his power. You want to metaphorically run to him and fall on your face before him and implore him. Today, you're saying in your heart, you recognize it. You understand he's not only willing, but he's able to touch you and meet your need. And today, maybe you have realized your point of desperation, that you are desperate enough to realize only the Lord can fix this, whatever it is. And you no longer want to be defined by the worst moment of your life. And here's what I want to tell you. You can walk out of here free from that today in Jesus' name. Whatever letter has been stamped across your life, sin, guilt, adultery, addiction, pornography, sickness, dysfunction, you are ready for Jesus to put his stamp of cleansed by the blood of the Lamb across your life today. If that's you, would you just simply lift your hand? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Would you simply lift your hand so that I know who to pray for? Lift your hand if you're saying, I need the touch of Jesus today. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. You may put your hands down. Lord, we come before you today recognizing that you are the great high priest who is ever making intercession on our behalf. We're also, Lord, so thankful, so thankful 
that you are touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So, Lord Jesus, would you reach out your hand today just as you did to that man who was full of leprosy. Would you reach out your hand and touch those who are in need of you today? For, Lord, you know exactly what to do. It's not guessing with you. You know exactly what to do. And that which you have is far more powerful than anything about our circumstances. So I'm asking today, by your mighty power, Lord Jesus, would you bring deliverance? For I ask it in the magnificent, powerful name of Jesus.